0: Welcome back to the 19th T Podcast. Kieran Marsh and Nathan Drudy with you for another week. Drudster, as I welcome you in, it's with a hearty congratulations, my friend, because we've got winners to talk about, uh, including another few Aussies. Uh, ring the bell once again, my friend, but none bigger than your performance <laughs> at a Pro Am, your Pro Am debut, and, and what a debut it was. Yeah, well,
1: that's it. Don't need to go to anymore now, do I? That was, um, no, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, managed to come away with the best net score. So having a higher handicap sometimes
0: pays off quite nicely. So uh, congratulations, mate! Thank I, you, I mate. think I think whilst we do need to congratulate you, a, a big a big congratulations needs to go to Glen Paul, uh, yes. <laughs> a, a loyal listener of the nineteenth team, and of yes. course uh, the the, the, the pro that you've been getting some lessons with. Uh, he's obviously done a remarkable uh, yeah. job. Miracle your game. Uh, <laughs> he and I were exchanging a few messages last night. Uh, I, I saw him, uh, he posted uh, to his Instagram story saying that, um, you know, congratulating you on your fantastic <laughs> win and saying that his fee was 25% of the bottle of wine that you won. I said yeah. that he deserved um, the entire bottle. Uh, yeah, he oh, vine- deserved the vineyard. Yeah, well, the, Yeah, you're right. Probably the grapes from which the bottle came. Um, and then we were having a joke about what was likely to last long, the bottle of wine or the balls. And I said definitely the bottle of wine. Yeah. Yes. No, I will. No,
1: no, no. I'll pay that because I'm going down south this weekend for a bit of a golf tour and, uh, looking likely that we might uh, get down to Dunsborough Lakes. So a bit of water around there. So I imagine that's where the uh, Pro V1s will end up. But uh, no, all in all, very fun day. And uh, well done to the the guys out at Mount Lawley. Golf Club put on a a really good event. And uh, even dinner and all the rest
0: of it didn't really plan for that but uh all the bells and whistles if so we are recording a, a day late this uh That's right. week but well deserved you, you you absolutely deserve to enjoy your victory we, we will flag up front uh druids is we're currently recording um via the um the telstra uh, four or three g network Druids. what are you rocking over there no free uh, hours as well
1: uh, yeah, it is. It is 4G, so uh, pay to play.
0: Uh, yeah, we're on the data roaming um, courtesy of uh, one of the all-time great storms that hit the <laughs> west coast of Australia uh, yeah. this evening. Uh, so if there are a couple of little dropouts at Druids' end, uh, bear with us because uh, we are at the mercy of the Telstra Towers. Yeah. Dudes, we we spent like half. chatting. Yeah, let's crack a beer because it's well
1: we had we had that much rain and now it's just as steamy as all buggery. So it's it's how I imagine Brisbane is for most of the year. So don't know how well, you we, do
0: it. Yeah, I mean you, you've been complaining to me for the past half an hour. I feel like saying welcome welcome to Brisbane uh, post three thirty p.m. each day for the four yeah, months of a dry summer. heat here, yeah, mate. It's a dry heat. Drew, so what are we cracking open to celebrate your victory at the, uh, the we're going
1: Pro-Am? Uh, We are going to the Pirate Life IPA now. If our listeners will remember, one of the first beers we had was the Pirate Life Throwback IPA, which is this little, uh, which is the brother of this beer. It's the little brother, which was three and a half percent. This one is up to six point eight percent. It is in between the pale ale and the double IPA. Uh, it is a really, really nice beer. It is bright, fruity, full of liquid fun, as I am uh, reading off the Pirate Life website. So KM, let's crack this bad boy open. I can't imagine this is going to last overly long because
0: I'm really quite thirsty. Because it's yeah, hot. I can imagine. No, and that's right up your alley. You do like the fruitier, uh, the the fruitier ales. So that's that's very right up pine, your alley. My very friend. punchy. Mm. Anyway, now we off. do have a lot to get through tonight. I did Huge. mention some um, Aussie winners. Uh, big congratulations to Steph Kriakou who took out the ladies European tour event down at Bonville on the central coast. Also Anthony Quayle, a winner in his backyard at the Queensland Open on the PGA Tour of Australasia. We will get to those uh, events very shortly, Druids, but... In terms of what happened across the world on the weekend, uh, not a name that we have generally mentioned in the nicest of ways on this podcast in the first six months of its existence, but Patrick Reed was yeah. a one-shot winner the WGC Mexico, his eighth tour victory in his career with that uh, that win over Bryson Deschambeau. Yeah, look, the guy can play. We. <laughs> You know, uh,
1: we've criticised him very heavily, as have a lot of people, but he can he can play when, you know, when he really does need to, hate to keep harping on the President's Cup, but Jesus, on that Sunday, he uh, I think he played against Benny Arn actually, or it might have been Sung Jae-im, and just pushed him to the sword. Um, yeah, he can play. And look, I feel a bit sorry for Bryson. I was kind of rooting for him, obviously. I just didn't want Patrick Reid to, re- to win at all. Uh, but, yeah. You can't deny that he's a good player when, when uh, you know, he really needs to step up and, and stand tall. And he, and he did that in Mexico um, at altitude.
0: Yeah. Drew, do you know what? And this is, I mean, I don't want this to spiral into another conversation about um, Patrick Reed's cheating, but it's hard not to have that in the forefront of your mind when you see this. And it's for the very reason that you just said, he is a phenomenal golf player. Hmm. And it's not as if the cheating is performance enhancing. It's more insidious than that. And you, you wonder, like, he's not, he's not using hot clubs or he's not taking um, substances to enhance his performance. It's more insidious stuff. And you wonder, you, like, you ask the question, why, why do you need it, Patrick? Because you're obviously an outstanding player. I mean, you look at some of his stats this week, 45 one-putts. Yeah, phenomenal. 45 one-putts across... 72 holes. It's the most by any PGA Tour player in the last 30 years. That's a, that's absolutely amazing. Led the field in strokes game, putting, gaining more than 11.8 strokes on the field across the weekend. Crazy. Unbelievable. Eighth, eighth Tour victory in his career. That makes him third highest in terms of players under 30 years of age. Mm. And mm. in terms of uh, active players at the moment, you know, like these players that have won more times than him since uh, 2013 when he had his first win. Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Rory McElroy, Jason Day, and Jordan Spieth. They're the yeah. only players that have won more times than him since his first win back in 2013. Hmm. Oh, he, he, he's an outrageous player when he just parks all the other bullshit, but it's so hard to separate it. And it, it, it it's really unfortunate because that's what we, we always come back to. I'd much rather be talking to you about how good a player Patrick Reed is without a cloud hanging over it. Mm, agree. You, you just can't separate it, which is terribly, terribly unfortunate when you consider how good a player he is. Yeah.
1: I think the thing for mine is that it's just so repeated. Like, you know, this is the, you know, upteenth time we've spoken about this, but, you know, we had the the issue, you know, last year with, with the removal of sand and it wasn't, you know, um, I'm really so, so apologetic. It was just like, no oh, the camera angle was bad. Uh, you know, there was a video that sort of has been around for a number of years where he, um, you know, lines up with iron, uh, and then, you know, obviously pushing the grass down behind and then takes a three wood. Yeah. The, um, the
0: Barclays, the Page Black back in 2016. Yeah. Like famous video. You had Peter Costas, the former CBS. Commentated- explosive. Yeah, during the week, a, a fantastic interview on the No Laying Up podcast. Peter Costas said that he's seen it up close and personal four or five times. He's seen you him pull it out, wide. Peter. Like,
1: that's my question.
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, but it's and Peter Costas. I mean, Peter Costas got no reason to lie. You know, Peter Costas. No. He, he's got nothing to lose, really, at, the, at this point of his career. Having been let go by CBS, and it just. It speaks to behavior. I mean, his, his college teammates spoke about instances back when he was at college. And as I said, it's not – He kicked off his team. Um, it, it's insidious, Strouds. It's little It's little things, little deliberate, deceitful, dishonest acts when mm. he, he doesn't need it. Like, yeah. he is an outrageously good player. He doesn't need it. And, and I, I, I struggle to understand why this entrenched um, pattern of behavior continues to to surface with Pat Raid.
1: Well, the thing like, so just going back to the sand, the sand one. Uh, so you're talking about players who are so, so in tune with everything that a shutter, you know, from a camera puts them off. Um, you know, mm. someone talking, you're talking about him actually impeding his swing, right? For For lack of a term, impeding his swing by pulling the club back and moving sand. Mm. If that was like, you know, like these players are so in tune. I've spoken to, to professional golfers who we've had on this podcast, who have said that there is no way in hell that he wouldn't have known that he picked yeah, up I mean, some sand.
0: Well, Brooks um, during the week, uh, you want to talk about explosive interviews. He was doing a bit of a, a bit of a media tour uh, as the defending- old, old bipolar Brooks. Yeah, defending PGA, um, PGA uh, champion winner. Uh, he was doing a bit of a media tour. Was asked flat out um, what he thought about the Patrick Reed situation, and said uh, something to, to the effect of, "Yeah, was he building sandcastles or something?" Mm. Uh, and and he said that you know I've just spent three months out. I can tell you categorically that I would know if I had touched sand with my club. Mm. And he, you know, Pat, Pat Reed did it. Countless times there were, mm. you know, more, twice. there were multiple multiple uh drawbacks of the club through the sand. Yeah. to to as you say without any contrition um blame the camera angle it's uh, i don't yeah it's 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 really unfortunate because we should be able to, as I say, and it sound like a broken record, but we're talking about a, a a remarkably talented player. You know, more wins now than players like Paul Casey, Lee Westwood, Ricky mm. Fowler. Like the, These are class players that he is. And he's not on, 30 yet. No, numbers alone, he's better than... He has so much more of his career ahead of him to continue to climb that list. But he will always be dogged by these, you know, this innuendo and, and this speculation and, and flat-out proof of... Mm. His, you know, of his cheating.
1: Well, there were some photos floating around on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen these of him marking his ball, where he shoves the marker right under the ball and then picks it up, and then when he goes back and places his ball, you know, it's the the usual, you know, maybe one or two mil in front. So he's he's gaining, you know, potentially half an inch each time he puts a putt down. when you're playing on some of the the hardest greens on course, like this, you know, this makes a, this makes a big difference. If you find that, go and have a look on Twitter. Those photos are out there. The one I was going to say, Lucas Herbert got done for removing sand. He did on the European tour last year. The difference is Lucas came out and was like, shit, I fucked up real bad. I'm so sorry. Patrick Reed came out and went, Oh no, it was the camera angle. like, just come out and own it. I reckon that he would, if he had came out and just owned that, I don't know who Patrick's PR people are behind, behind him. Stop sending cease and desist letters and start working on an image solution for this immensely talented golfer who has all the capabilities to be the number one golfer in the world if he puts it all together.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's the problem. Is it's not only his lack of ownership of or, or accountability of the problems; it's the um, the complete whitewashing from the PGA Tour of any issue at all. Uh, yeah. You know that they would rather stand behind Patrick Reed, um, and threaten players like Cameron Smith. Yeah, who, that's who, ridiculous. Who speak honestly about the situation? I, I would be incredibly curious to know if, if Brooks Koepka has now received any communique from the PGA Tour about his comments. I highly doubt it. Wouldn't have thought um, so. But it's, it, yeah, it's the combination of the lack of ownership and the complete whitewashing for the PGA Tour that I think infuriates people. Like, own own the problem, take the punishment. Because, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, if, if other uh, similar situations which have been punished by the Tour had been applied here, he should not be playing in this tournament. He I be completely him. agree. He should be serving a, a ban. Completely agree. Uh, there's been other players who have been banned for uh, one, uh, the one the name doesn't spring to mind, but there's one recently who um, he, he improved his lie of pitch marks on a green mm. uh, prior to a putt and served a two month ban. Yeah. Um, we and, got people that-
1: serving bans for medicinal marijuana.
0: Yeah, exactly right. Six <laughs> months. Six months for prescribe a medical prescription. Six months. Ridiculous. And I mean, let's be honest, dudes. Uh, you know, uh, for people who have dabbled um, in, in in the green grass, it doesn't help you golf. It, it'd mellow you out. It'd certainly relax you, but it doesn't help you golf. Let me know. they should
1: just prescribe it for all the players before and just let them have at it.
0: And we've got Patrick Reed, who's improved his lie and is now out winning tournaments at a time in yeah, which he should be, most likely be
1: kick him off the tour, Doug.
0: Anyway, we've 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 gone back down the rabbit hole and spent far too much.
1: I just got one take on uh, Brooks Brooks's yes. piece. The, yes. the funny part about that, so so he was asked, uh, "Did he cheat?" That's the first time that I've probably really heard someone sort of say, "Did you credit, cheat?" And he kind of said.
0: Credit yeah. to the interview for actually cutting through the shit and asking the question of all yeah. we wanted to
1: ask. And you know like it was a serious XM interview? So they're not golf journalists. They're just like... Yeah. So good on him for asking. And he kind of said, yeah, he was. Um, the funny part was that they were going to be President's Cup teammates. Mm. Like, mm. I, you know, and we saw what happened down at the President's Cup. You know, Webb Simpson was defending Patrick Reed. Would Brooks have been in the same boat? Like, would he... Would
0: Yeah, well... You know what point, I mean? Maybe like, that's, absolutely. Maybe that's why we're getting the honesty from Brooks is not only are we, A, two months post that tournament, but B, he doesn't, he doesn't feel the, the shackles of being on the same team and the need to defend him. What I find interesting, Druids, is that you've got these comments coming now ahead of them being um, teammates um, almost certainly at the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Even potentially at the Olympics. Because mm. Pat Reid's putting himself in the conversation now for the Olympics, yeah, um, hundred percent. United States Brooks um, is non-committal. Wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't play because he only, you know, that's 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 typically his personality. Who get up for the majors and he, and you know, to his credit, he's come out and said that he never imagined himself as an Olympic athlete because golf was never an Olympic sport. Mm. Um, but you know, you're talking about potentially seeing them as teammates on two teams this year alone, um, and there's clearly a divide. Good, um, yeah, clearly a divide between those two players
1: top 10 leaderboard. is probably the best one that we've had for a little while. Unbelievable. Reed Deshambo, Ram Van Royen, McRoy Matsuyama, who you put on uh, email flag last week. Hatton, Thomas. Red Porchel, flag and on
0: yeah,
1: um, Like for, for all the knocks that Bryson DeChambeau has got about, you know, his weird swing and, you know, his weird philosophy towards golf, he took time off to, you know, bulk up. Like it's it's having a pretty good effect for him. He's playing some really good golf. Um, Consistent, yeah. Consistent. Like I, I was just having a look at his results. Now he had T eight at the Dubai Desert Classic. Uh, didn't have the greatest week at uh, TBC Scottsdale, but then Genesis finished T five, and then this week finished outright second. So things going yeah. well for Bryson James Aldridge. Dushambo.
0: He's been the butt of many jokes, um, and to be fair, a lot of it is self-inflicted. Um, however, you, you can't deny the consistency uh, with the same length of clubs, uh, mm. uh, and that's... I still like that's, him. That's his plain as a nose on your face. A little bit disappointing that, I mean, he not only... Like, he put himself in a really strong position. He came out, I think, five or six birdies um, to start off the day in the front nine, Mm. Today and we just got out of every skis and the, the wheels well and truly fell off mm. uh, in the last couple of holes. Patrick Reed coming from behind to win by one, but you know Brooks, uh, sorry, Broson in a position to putt for victory on eighteen. He left he left like a twelve or fourteen foot putt four mm. foot short. Yeah, to win. Like yeah. that's he whiffed that putt. Have a go. Mentally, that's probably where um, you know he, he still has some maturing to do to put himself in a position to go on and win tournaments. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but you know, to, to your point, he is—he's certainly probably taking himself to another level off the back of these physical, uh, physical gains. Another name you mentioned, Edwards, uh, Rory McElroy T five. Mm. Um, that's that's as low as he's finished this year on the PGA Tour, which is wow. remarkable. Um, If you take a look at uh, the last or since the start of last season, so a season and a half's worth of stats, he now sits at 54% in terms of percentages of finishes in the top five. So every start he's made since the start of last season, he has finished in the top five 54% of times. That's the next closest is Brooks at 38%. That's Uh, Unbelievable. He, I know he gets he gets knocked for not um, converting enough of them, but I think I think what you cannot deny about Rory is he's starting to position himself. He, he's closing the gap between his best and worst. He may not be winning all the time, but he's certainly giving himself a chance. At, well, as you've heard, at least um, every one out of every two tournaments since mm-hmm. the beginning of last season. So that's scary for players. Is that when he starts to bring his his worst golf is still is still good enough to compete? then that's that becomes a very very scary proposition for his opponents for when he can actually really turn it on
1: that's exactly right
0: he's
1: that's that's quite a remarkable statistic that you've just saw unbelievable.
0: <laughs> um, uh, unbelievable uh just just quickly before we wrap up a couple of other brief things a couple of uh amazing shots this week uh, obviously headlined uh, John Rahm's hole in one, and the reaction may well have been better than the whole completely so. <laughs> yeah the I one love this. The one bounce drop and then the, the big teller just lost his bananas. I love it. Yeah. What a lot. Uh, unreal. unreal. And then um, I don't know if you saw Justin Thomas uh, flush against uh, a tree. He went uh, reverse left hand yeah. bunt recovery. You know, club turned inside out, uh, swinging with the left hand. An amazing shot. One of those shots that you, you look at and you know only guys that are not even, I, I wouldn't even say most pros could perform that. I'd only say the very top echelon, the very top 0.1% of pros could perform that shot. Definitely. Do you reckon they practice that? Uh, I do. I wouldn't say it's it's in the top 15 to 20 shots that they practice, but, you know, you'd be... I mean, these guys spend so much time at the range. So, like, they probably just get bored. They Have to like try some different stuff, or you know, in situational practice when they're out in the course doing practice rounds, I'm sure that they give themselves some situations like that to at least know that it's in their bag, to at least know that when they get in that position and look at the ball and they have an option, they're not completely, um, you know, forced into a drop. So it was, yeah, I I look at that and I could only dream of hitting shots like that, (laughs) Drew. Just before we move off of WGC, um, you, you, you. you flagged it with a little bit of uh, cynicism in your voice at the top. Uh, What did you think of Chapultepec? The course itself and the conditions, the irony of course, not lost in us that the the very week after distance was in the news that we we go to altitude and we've got guys uh, hitting 400 yard drives. Yeah. Uh, And that was probably my principal point around
1: all of this was just uh, the timing could have been, (laughs) could have been better. Mm. Um, Look, uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of this event, just purely from that perspective. I mean, it's great watching someone, you know, hit a, hit a drive 400 yards and try and land it on a green. Like good on you. If that's what you want to want to do sweet, but to see nine irons traveling almost 200. And I know this is something that we, that we can't really control because it's an altitude thing. It's not an equipment type thing, Uh, but it could be fixed if everyone had to play with rental clubs as per my last idea. Um, yeah, Look, the, uh, the course looked really nice, like, uh, and props to the Mexican fans for getting out there cause the crowds were good. Uh, but yeah, just poor timing for the, for the, uh, distance report to come out and then have guys, did, was it the longest drive of the week it was 415, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it was Rory. <sighs> Rory hit, Rory did hit a 400 and something yard drive, um, well, I tell you Ridiculous. what, what I, what, I, what I do find is it's not ideal uh, because I don't necessarily like, to your point, seeing nine irons go to 200 yards. What I do like is the challenge
1: yeah.
0: and guys, much like when they went to Royal Melbourne, um, much like recently at Riviera, when the conditions just aren't picture perfect or almost engineered, they struggle. And that's what I liked about this. I liked seeing guys have to think There, I like seeing them pull like you've been, you know, you've had practice rounds, you've played a couple of rounds and still in your third round, you're pulling a driver that you're hitting past a green. How do you not, how does it not compute that you need to go down a couple of clubs? That's, that's what I enjoy about a place like Jabalde is, is watching guys really have to think their way around the course. We don't get enough of that on the PGA Tour and that's not necessarily the ideal outcome. Um, you know, it's altitude with balls going much farther than they otherwise would. However, it's I think it's a good result in terms of watching guys challenged um beyond the, the cookie cutter PJ two, of course, as we see week in, week out. And, and of take- course, Druids, um the the very best thing about the WGC Mexico chapultepec is the uh is the announcer who calls on the players <laughs> at the first two. Great video on social. <sighs> Representing the United States, Justin Thomas. He was That's the best part of it. Unreal. Best part. And looked like a lad. Didn't Had he? the real Mexican slick back, you know, down to the shoulders. He was awesome. Trying just so, fresh off neck and a couple of coronas. I think mean, we should probably try and get him to voice over the introduction to this <laughs> broadcast. But work in progress. Um, I did, I did say that was the last thing, but we can't go past this. This is the very last thing about WGC. Uh, Charles Howell the Third. Mm. Not a name that was anywhere near the leaderboard. Certainly didn't have a week um, worth talking about. He did, however, earn enough prize money to go past $1 million US million in official earnings in this uh, 2019-2020 PGA Tour season. What's significant about that, Droods? He's now passed a million US dollars in prize money in 20 consecutive yeah. PGA Tour seasons. Only Phil Mickelson is the other player to do that. Two players. Hey, Charles, Charles is pretty well off Charles is killing it so congratulations <laughs> to Charles uh you know <laughs> on you, Charles at least a bare minimum of 20 million uh, over the last uh, 20 years and you know and GST I'd expect there'd be plenty on top of that so uh, <laughs> well done to Charles uh, a, a pretty remarkable start moving you, right Charles. along Druids, the opposite field event this week yeah. is the Puerto Rico Open, and Victor Hovland, a name that we've spoken an awful lot about. It was really a matter of when, not if, he broke through for his maiden victory on the PGA Tour after 17 starts. Yeah, this kid's a stud.
1: Uh, I've renamed this uh, event. This is going to be called the Tony Finau Open until Tony Finau wins another PGA Tour event. Of course, this is the only event that he's won, so...
0: Well, Drew, uh, just before we go any (laughs) further, Tony Fina, I'm not sure if you caught this. Tony Fino is not the only one who has suffered uh, what is now commonly known as the Puerto Rico Open curse. Okay. Are you across this stat or am I bringing this to you for the first time? You are are breaking news. I'll cross down live. The Puerto Rico Open has been running for 11 years now. Mm. No player who has won the Puerto Rico Open has won another tournament. That's insane. The 2009 winner, Michael Bradley, is the only person to have won more than once because he won the Puerto Rico Open again in 2011. Every other Puerto Rico Open champion has never won another PGA Tour title. It is the curse of the Puerto Rico Open. And it may be the tournament he didn't want to win. Of all the tournaments to win his first, because uh, Tony Finau, 2016 winner, we, we, we so famously spoken about in recent weeks, the man, um, you know, is captain consistency, but always the bridesmaid, never the bride, mm. and it could well uh, hark back to the Puerto Rico Open curse. I'm going to go Eventually. out on a limb and say that Victor Hovland's going to break that. He Agreed. might even break it before Tony Finau does.
1: Agree. And it, this is the Tony Finau Open for the foreseeable future because Tony is so immensely talented and I want nothing more than to see Tony Fennell win another PGA Tour event. And this can go back to being called the Puerto Rico Open once Tony completes that. But anyway, Victor Hovland, 540K in the bank, full exemption until the end of 2022 invitation to the PGA Championship and the players. He had a good week. Um, The highlight for mine of this, this event, which I must admit I didn't watch a hell of a lot of this because obviously I was trying to keep up with the, WGC Mexico and the the obviously broadcast being top notch once again um, was uh, the on course interview after Victor Hovland won and he just blatantly said I suck at chipping, I've never related was, to anything more in my life. Victor. It was
0: refreshingly honest. <laughs> it and was. I think I think it just is a sign of how green he is still. You know, like only seventeen starts, so he's he's he, initial season ahead uh, of what will be a long and successful career, but he's still so raw. Mm. And that's what I love. He's not, he hasn't gone through the machine just yet and he's not full of cliches. And that, that was so honest. You know, I, I suck at chipping, and to be fair, Druids, he does. I mean, the highlight package will show you the two chip ins Mm. from off the green, including the one at 15, which really probably set him on his way to win the tournament. Yep. But he does suck. And yet uh, it still manages to, to be a, a, you know, an important and influential and talented figure on the tour. And for him to own that, you know, to stand up, put his hand up and say, yep, that's a big problem. And it's something that I need to work on. But luckily mm. enough, I managed to overcome it today. Yeah. Like, you know, he had a, he had a triple there in the final round. Yeah, on 11. A couple of whiff, uh, whiff chips. Uh, and and to, to overcome a triple on the back nine and win a PGA Tour tournament, He's no mean feat and the sign of a remarkably good player, but one who is honest about his flaws. I agree. Yeah. He, he, look, you know, we've spoken about it, him in the same vein, Colin Morikawa
1: and, and Matthew Wolf. you know, these guys are the future of the game. They're, they're going to be the young guns that we're going to remember for a long, long time. And, you know, and now all
0: three have won within a year of turning pro. That's exactly right. Which shows so you how scary. good they are,
1: um, you know, and, you know, he nailed that thirty-foot putt on eighteen. Just rammed it in the back of the cup. Yeah, if it yeah, missed, it was on him. It was going like that. Was that was going to end up six foot past, at least? Um, balls on him to drop that putt. Was yeah, huge. Um, you know, look, comes out of a comes out of a good stable. You know, went to Oklahoma State and his teammates there with with Matthew Wolf and of course Ricky Fowler was, was there and, and Wyndham Clark, of course, before he transferred to Oregon. Um, but you know they. Oklahoma State have a very good knack of producing some good golfers and uh, to have two PGA tour winners uh, in their first year out of college shows that they're doing something right uh, down there in Stillwater. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I was thinking about this today, who of the three would you take? Say if you've got Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, and Colin Morikawa, who, who are the three that you're, uh, who's the one that you're saying is probably the pick of the crop or might be the pick of the crop for the next year?
0: I am a Morikawa guy, uh, and I think it's purely down. He he may be. I, I think Morikawa is probably in the top five iron players in the tour at present. Mm. And that that's why, because, I mean, Victor Hovland, Victor Hovland off the tee is un. Believable. I mean, this stat that I pulled, Drews, before we uh, b- before we came on tonight, since the U.S. Open uh, last year, highest strokes gained off the tee, Victor Hovland leads that stat for the minimum of thirty rounds, plus one hundred three ahead of Rory McElroy plus one hundred one ahead of Cameron Champ, plus 0.82. Victor Hovland leads strokes gained off the tee since the U.S. Open last year. He is third in strokes gained approach, and that's where Colin Morikawa is ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what I think. I mean, if you can, if you're serviceable off the tee, we all know that it's it's from there to the green and around the green that wins your golf tournaments. And unfortunately mm-hmm. for Victor, as we've just spoken about, the the chipping and and to a less extent the putting is still an issue. Whereas I think Colin Morikawa has it a little bit more sorted out. So that gives me the confidence to say Morikawa for now. Um, but you know, if on the flip side, if if Victor Hovland can get the shorter game sorted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a neck and neck race for the next 10, 15 years. Mm,
1: I agree. And look, Matthew Wolf wasn't even part of that conversation and he's immensely talented as well, but at the moment, well, he's probably the wild just, card, isn't he? And I think well, people yeah. are discounting
0: because of the swing, but you absolutely shouldn't do that. You shouldn't a judge just a little cover. bit inconsistent at the moment, mm. uh,
1: you know, burst onto the scene and won, and and whatever. And, you know, name bandied around for a brief moment around president's cup debuts. But I agree. I think Colin Murakawa is the, the best of the three at the moment. I think if Victor Hovland can sort that short game stuff out, he he's the more purely talented of the three and, and will probably become the better golfer if he can sort that out. But just before also, we put a line under Puerto Rico open, Cam Davis, yeah. Rain Gibson, T27 from the Aussies.
0: rain Gibson, he's been playing some, he's been playing some good and games. And Cam Davis go. again. Yeah, Cam Davis. I mean, the guy. Wow. I, 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 I really, I'd, I'd love to have him on because I think Cam Davis has... We've, we've, we've slept on Cam Davis a bit. We get enamoured, and rightfully so, with the bigger names, the, um, the Smiths, the Leishmans, the Scots. But in terms of Cam Davis and the, and the string of performances he's putting together, particularly um, this season on the PGA Tour, he's got a hell of a future ahead of him. And yeah, we, one we'd absolutely keep an eye on. Also, Drude's, Um just another quick one on, on a quirky one on uh, Victor Hovland. First Norwegian
1: yes. to win on
0: the PGA Tour. Congrats! So to, probably lighting uh, it up in Norway tonight. I would have thought. Yeah. In more ways than one, pretty liberal up there in uh, in they Norway. Also um, <laughs> worth mentioning, Jude's, Um Josh Josh Teeter, yeah, who finished uh, finished second uh, and was was really there and thereabouts. I mean, Hovland took it off him in the last couple of holes, um, but Josh Teeter. I don't know if you saw this. He's a he's a twenty year veteran um, and has never won. Uh, on on the PGA tour or, um, you know, uh, or associated tours. And he, he was quite emotional uh, post-round uh, mm. and it was tough to watch, but I think so beautifully articulated uh, how small the group is of golfers who are ultimately successful at the top level. Yeah. Guy who's been grinding away, like the stories I've read about him in the last 24 hours, A guy that always, you know, is one of the most popular figures in the Corn Ferry Tour in the last couple of years because he'd always stay back, give his time to younger players, hang around on a Sunday afternoon to congratulate the winner. Mm. A universally and wildly popular guy has never broken through. And this was his opportunity in an opposite field event where he got a chance because we had, you know, majority of players over in Mexico also highlights the importance of these opposite field events for guys like Josh Teter. But to see it so perfectly summed up in like a 90-second interview where he struggled to hold back the tears because of how much it hurt not to go on and win, I think was a really strong reminder to to the average golf fan that these guys, like for 98% of them more, this is a grind week Mm. to week, you know, paycheck to paycheck. You know, can I afford that flight to get to Monday qualifying to maybe get into this tournament? Uh, So, you know, uh, big, big ups to Josh Teeter for being so raw and so honest. Fingers crossed for a a victory soon for Josh. Speaking of victories, and and someone literally at the opposite end of their career Mm. to a 20-year veteran who has not won is uh, Steph Kuriaku, the Aussie uh, amateur. Well, I say amateur. She was an amateur when she won the Ladies European Tour event at the Bonneville Golf Resort on the weekend by 8 Strikes, if you don't mind, crazy victory. Uh, (laughs) and (laughs) and and
1: very disappointing for her the fact that she can't claim the prize money. But I I don't even know who finished second, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, second, Uh, how's that finish the second takes the the
0: first uh, prize player, uh, the, the money. 33rd ranked player in the world, if you don't mind. There you go. And the the New South Wales amateur, uh, well, again, amateur at the time because uh, she literally announced a matter of hours ago that she's turning professional. Uh, Excellent. And yes. her first professional event will be the the Women's New South Wales Open and Dubbo um, this week. Yes. But how's that? If she, <laughs> poor old Steph Criarco, if she'd done it a week earlier, she'd be walking away with a significant prize money because it was a clinic. Yeah. A complete was. performance to win, as I said, eight strokes over the next best player, let alone the rest of the field. And the next best player in the field is ranked, you know, close to the top thirty in the world. Yeah, an enormous performance by by the the young the young New South Welshman.
1: Well, she'll be pissed, but she doesn't get the money. But she'll be so pumped to to you know she gets winner's exemption onto the ladies' European Tour and the ALPG as well. So she's um, she certainly should be very proud of herself and uh, for what she's achieved at such a young age and she's going to go on and have a great career. You know, we've, we t- we, spoke, we spoke about, sorry, rather, uh, you know, the exciting young guns coming through the ranks on the PGA tour and the, and the Aussie men, we know how great they are, but our Aussie women are just absolutely killing it at the moment. You know, we've got a, a winner on the ladies European tour on the weekend. Hannah Green's just going strength to strength. There's, you know, it's a really exciting time to be, uh, you know, an Australian golf fan. Um, you know, particularly if we keep winning golf tournaments, uh, like well, yeah. Steph. I mean,
0: you, you say she'd be pissed, and obviously, she would be. I mean, there's opportunity cost loss there in terms of the money. But if you're winning in that fashion as an amateur, how does that set you up for the rest of your career? Yeah, so, you'd like to think it carries over. I'd love to see her go on and repeat it this week at the women's mm-hmm. news files open in her first tournament as a pro for a bit of momentum, but also as a great story to say, you know. Pro, amateur, prize money, no money, it doesn't matter. I just mm. win, you know, I make a habit of winning. And yeah, she was she was outstanding. And one of my sage roots, um, a beautiful golf course. Bonville uh, on the mm. on the central coast. It just I mean, that, that tournament's been going there for a number of years now, and it is pretty. It is a it is a very, very good looking golf course. And the the team there at Bonville did an outstanding job once again to get it up for this European tour event. But gee, it presented itself well on the telly. Yeah. Good. Like
1: I love seeing a well-presented golf course. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, you, it's kind of an expectation that when you're hosting an event that it's going to be well-presented, but I love like when you see it, uh, you know, particularly through TV and you just like the colors pop and everything just looks, you know, pristine and you know that how much work's gone into it. I love seeing that because that for Especially, me is like, you know, that's reward everyone yeah, thinking abs- about how good your course is
0: <laughs> absolutely like i mean it's it, it uses the land so well as well they're tucked into the kind of the bushland undulating piece of property and mm. yeah it's 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 a special place One i'd love to do a little bit of a 19th tee um on course research from uh from Bonville. sounds and good so if, if the folks at Bonville are listening we're more than happy to to attend uh but yeah but congrats to, to steph Kriaku and to Bonville golf Resort for a fantastic weekend, and, and hopefully, it's the first of many for youngsters. Speaking of the first of many, Droodster Anthony Quayle, the Queenslander, yes, through for his maiden professional win in his backyard, the Queenslander Open, up at the beautiful Pelican Waters Golf Club in Caloundra. I was uh, I was lucky enough to get up there on Saturday, so yes, tell us back, about it. Day three, really enjoyed it, Droods. It was, um, look, I'm, I'm glad that. From what I saw vision wise, the crowd swelled on Sunday. Not surprising, given it's the final day and many people get out there. But similar scenario to, you know, what you experienced for the events over in WA, a free entry, walk the fairways. And as a as a fan, I think you have to probably be pretty hardcore fan, but if, if you are, what a what an invaluable experience to get up close and personal. Like I'm talking literally uh, you know, a matter of meters. And the players are so accommodating. You know, they were fantastic um, the way they went. I followed a few different groups, um, ended up spending a fair bit of time on the back nine with uh, with Blake Windred, obviously a, a friend of the Potter guy we've had on before. And, and it was fantastic just to walk and have a chat to Blake and, and kind of see how he goes about his business up close and personal. But uh, again, like we probably just lament the the fact that this isn't necessarily always well publicized and mm. so not enough people are aware and therefore it doesn't get the attention that it deserves because you know i was a little underwhelmed by the crowd there on saturday as i said it grew naturally for, for sunday which was good to see but it's like it costs you nothing for yeah. me other than a drive up from brisbane which was an hour and for people on the sunshine coast absolutely nothing at all you mm. know to play to play pelican waters cost you over 100 bucks you can walk it for nothing and watch the you know some of the best players in australia play the game like, yeah just an I think a, an undervalued resource that we have here in Australia is our ability to do that. And, you know, the, the, the different state bodies and the national governing bodies willingness to open up their minds to ideas like that. And uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the opportunity to walk around and, and experience that on, on Saturday. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think we need to encourage, keep
1: encouraging everyone to, get out to their local uh, opens wherever that might be and and just get out there and, and pick a group. Even if you don't know any of the names in there, pick a group, walk around and just get to enjoy it. And nine times out of 10, you know, um, because the crowds aren't as big as a, you know, a usual event as, you know, we'd love to see them being bigger, but you know, because they're not, you can often end up having a chat to some of the players while you're walking in between holes. Um, you know, it's really, it's great access and particularly for kids to get out there and just enjoy it. Uh, and you know, great work on the socials as well, mate. You,
0: uh, you did very, very well Thanks, uh, mate. on the, yeah, it's, it's usually it's, more your bag. So I was taking, I was taking the reins, um, from, no, you did well from, it. uh, from what is generally your strength, but I thought we, we, we opened up a little bit of a window to, uh, to the Queensland open and, had some fantastic hospitality. I was I mean, just
1: going to mention this.
0: Yeah, I, I, it would be remiss of us not to mention he would have much rather been uh, playing. Uh, missed the cut by by two shots, but uh, Justin Warren, good good friend of the pod, um, he stayed on uh, for the weekend. He was actually, uh, funnily enough, he was billeting with uh, Blake Windred. They were yes. staying at the same place. Uh, some members up there at Pelican Waters had taken them in and staying at their house, and so. Um, was stayed on not only to support Blake, but he was playing in the um, the Monday qualifier Cabulcher for the New Zealand Open, uh, which we'll get to in a moment. But yeah, Was 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 waiting for me. I spent probably the last six holes in the back nine walking with Blake into the 18th, and as I mm. got up to the 18th, um, Was was waiting up there with, with a beer in hand. Yeah, good and man, Wasa. Unbelievable. I thought, uh, yeah, the, the hospitality from Was was outstanding. We we went for a bit of a walk around, watched a few other guys come through come through nine including the leading group at that stage which was you know jared felt and anthony quail and james anstis um, anthony quail going on to win the next day and then sat down up at the clubhouse and had, a, had another beer with him and yeah good to pick uh, good to pick was Brian brain unfortunately obviously missed the cut there and and didn't um didn't make it through monday qualifying for new zealand open but he said he was well and truly looking forward to a break uh, yes. having been on the road for four or five weeks and Drewster um uh, I don't think we're giving away too many state secrets, but he's actually heading over to the States um, yes. looking to secure his, um, his card on the Mackenzie tour in Canada, and also hopefully trying to crack his way into the U S open via some local USGA qualifiers. So that is correct. Um, we will keep our eye on Wazza as he travels um, the next couple of months through America. And yep. um, we might even check in with him while he's over there to talk about his, his travels. Cause he's a, he's an outstanding, outstanding bloke. Great he man. this was um, he a thoroughly great guy. enjoy the opportunity to, to meet him and spend some time with him. So, we did get sidetracked. Anthony Quayle was, in fact, the winner, not Justin Moore. Was he? Um, And, yeah, great to see Anthony Quayle, a guy who's only um, recently turned pro, uh, cracked through for his first win uh, in, in his backyard, essentially, the Queensland Open. And, and a thrilling finish, obviously, playoff there with, um, with, with the, young, uh, the young amateur uh, from Victoria in, uh, in Jack Thompson. Uh, and yeah, good to see Anthony Clark get get the job done in, in the home tournament and hopefully uh, a sign of things to come for him. He's probably part of that that kind of next tier of Aussie players who with a bit of momentum and wins like this, um, you know, gets him entries into other tournaments around the world uh, to, to get an opportunity to continue to build his streets. From what I saw, he strikes a ball um, as, as good as anyone that was there on the weekend. So well and truly deserving of a victory. Uh, that indeed. A bit of a platform to go on. I do want to mention though, mm. Speaking of Jack Thompson, who was um, the, the young Victorian amateur who played in the playoff and ended up finishing second, he was one of 12 amateurs that made the cut over the weekend. The amateurs were outstanding at the Queensland Open. And On fire. Have to be, um I mean, I followed uh, for a period of time there Jed Morgan, um, spent a bit of time watching Elvis Smiley, all these guys who are kind of that next generation coming through. But the amateurs, uh, as I said, 12 of them making the cut to play Saturday, Sunday, the Queensland Open is a huge effort. So... A big congratulations to them, and also just wanted to make a quick mention of Steph Wilson, um, who is also a young amateur. She was only the second uh, woman to play in the Queensland Open in its history, behind Becky Kay, who we've had on the program before as well. Um, Becky was the first to do it two years ago. Steph Wilson uh, became the second in the tournament's history to do so over the weekend, and only missed the cup by one shot. So a fair effort from from young Sarah, and a an name I'm sure we'll continue to see in the next few years as she uh, as she develops. That we will, Queensland Open. Good event. Uh, just busted. also, just a quick one, Dreds. We, we do spoke a little bit about the New Zealand Open, which is this week over in Queenstown, being played mm. across both uh, Millbrook, which is a beautiful course, and the Hills, which I'm led to believe is beautiful, but I couldn't even get in the gate when I was in Queenstown earlier. Oh, sorry, late last year, because it's a private course owned by Michael Hill, the jeweler. Um, so the tournament played mm. over both of those courses. Uh, we have a number of Australians over there this week, including Blake Windred, uh, Jeff Ogilvie is over there, uh, Jake Hickenbotham's over there. There's a heap Zach of Murray, um, I think, is over Zach there. Zach is over there. He's defending champion, as it turns out. So there's plenty of them over there this week. A guy I did want to mention is Jack Munro. Jack was playing um, in Blake's group when I was walking around on Saturday. And Jack uh, got through in the third and final spot in the Monday qualifying Caboolture Golf Club here in Queensland for the New Zealand Open. He was mincing the ball at Pelican Waters on Saturday. So if he's walking in with that sort of form and the momentum of Monday qualifying, I'm not. I'm not here to suggest that Jack's going to win the New Zealand Open, but I reckon he'll make a good of a of himself because he. Some of the the best iron play I saw across the day was was Jack Munro up at Pelican Waters. I was very a guy that I'd never heard of to be to be frank and to be fair, but really impressed with how he went about his business. So I'll uh, be keen to keep an eye on him and see how he goes at, uh, at both Millbrook and the Hills over there in Queenstown for the New Zealand Open.
1: Excellent. Fingers crossed for,
0: uh, for an Aussie win over the ditch, eh? We'll Good, so I've been doing an awful lot of talking uh, about the Queensland Open. No, you were there, mate. You were the there, eyes on the, the ground. Fresh. So tell us a little bit about the developments in the Premier Golf League because we finally can put a face to the idea. Yes, that is true. So the face is uh, a London
1: financier by the name of Andrew Gardner. Hes a director of Barclay's Capital. Of course, Barclays, a huge corporation, uh, has detailed a lot more of the world tour concept. It was on uh, Rick Shields' podcast, uh, which was a great coup for him to have on there. But uh, look, there's there's a lot to unpack here in the in the limited time that we do have, but obviously, uh, looking to launch in, in this is a very brief overview looking to launch uh, January 22 uh, feature 48 players of, of 12 teams, 18 no cut 54 whole tournaments purses of 10 million each. And the events will be played in four continents, 10 in the U S four in Asia, including one in the middle East, which I guess will be Saudi Arabia uh, and three in Europe. And of course one in Australia, which we've spoken about as being the Australian open. Um, There's been other backers sort of uh, that has potentially not been named, but been hinted at that there's a bit of Saudi money involved in this, which we kind of expected, but I suppose the biggest, I think
0: it's almost been confirmed that there's Saudi investment. Also uh, SoftBank who have their own, um, I suppose you'd call them reputational issues. Yes. Um, So there's definitely some uh, insidious money sitting behind this, but uh, not not to excuse it because we have vocal critics and rightfully so of, of, European Tours decision to take golf to the kingdom. Um, mm. But this sort of money doesn't come from, uh, doesn't come from nowhere. And yeah, so correct. that's, that's going to be a um, a conscious and and uh, decision of morality that these players will have to make if they want to sign on for something that is backed yeah. by, uh, by dirty Saudi money. Well, yeah, it's an interesting point. So getting to the players who have, who have
1: uh, sort of come out in the last week. So Charlie Hoffman said that, um, you know, he'd obviously think about it, but didn't want to be, and I quote, uh, "Would like to be owned by some Saudi money over there." End quote. Uh, so that's interesting from Charlie. So there's obviously some moral sort of objections. We know Phil played um, with Gardner in the in the uh, pro am at the Saudi International. So you know he's going to have to um, continue his thought around it. I I suggest that Phil is going to be a big part of this. Uh, Bubba Watson said, "Go and get stuff and playing on the PGA Tour." Yeah, but the biggest one, Thanks, Baba. the biggest one is Rory. Yeah, now I know it's huge. Now I know that you, we we spoke about this resting on the shoulders of Tiger Woods. Yes, I actually think this rests more on Rory's shoulders. I think that Rory. So Tiger's going to be an owner potentially. Mm. I don't think he'd be a player. What Rory? He's going to play for the next twenty years of his life potentially on this rival tour. If they don't get Rory McElroy across the line, I really find this hard to to get off the ground. Even if Tiger plays, because it it just won't have the reputation of having the best players in the world. If we're talking about the 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 top top echelon, you know, you're talking about having a draw across the likes of Justin Thomas, Brooks Koepka, Deshambo, um, Rory McElroy. If you don't pull Rory across, I think it certainly loses a little bit of its luster, um, you know. And he came out and said, the more that he's thought about it, the more he doesn't like it. And, well, uh, he and said he's out. Yeah, That's yeah, he said he's out. So uh, you know, forward, was, um, I'm uh, out. And um, Andrew Gardner said that it was interesting, you know, some interesting comments, you know, and that he'd have to process them all. And
0: but um, I, don't, I don't think there's any coincidence that Andrew Gardner came out and did a podcast. Uh, uh, literally days after Rory McIlroy made his comments because, um, the PGL has been faceless yeah, up until this point, And all of a sudden, um, when the, uh, the biggest, well, second biggest name in golf, mm. uh, comes out and says, I'm out. Um, they swiftly acted. They started, um, they opened social media accounts. They tweeted, uh, it was a grossly over-engineered <laughs> mm. <laughs> tweet, but that's okay. That's well, they've got a Twitter their, account now. Yeah. That's They're their provocative. um, any chance, any danger. Yeah, any danger. You. <laughs> uh danger. But yeah, I'm, I mean, Rory, I, I agree with you. Probably not to the extent that um, he's a bigger blow because let's be honest, if Tiger turned around now and said, I'm going, Rory will go. Um, Rory is not going because he's fairly confident Tiger isn't also. He said based on um, probably down to the fact that Tiger doesn't want to play more than 12 times in a year. He's made that clear. And this is an 18 um, event tour now Andrew Gardner has subsequently said that you know there 'd be exemptions for the older players like a Phil or a tiger to not play the full the full roster, but mm. also i mean you look at tiger <laughs> tiger literally was just the face of the president 's cup for the PGA tour can 't imagine accept that role and turn around and say stuff is i 'm going correct but also there 'd be some astronomical money on the table for him that it would be hard to say no to so mm. this all does hinge on tiger um, what i what I do think is and you know i 've been i 've been uh, openly open to the idea of the PGO, if for nothing else other than it, it forces conversations and forces things to to change the status quo. One thing I will say about Andrew Gardner in that interview, that I really resonated with Drudes. He said that if you were to start golf today, it wouldn't look like what it currently looks like. Agree. And that was an insanely good point I thought. Mm. And so if there's nothing else uh, drives change, then this is a success. But it seemed to have a lot of momentum and then it seemed to stall. And now we've got Rory on one side saying I'm out and finally a face of the tournament again, telling us things we've already heard. It's the concept. So I think it needs, something major needs to happen. It needs a jolt probably in the next, you know, three to four weeks. It needs a player to commit because I fear that it will lose a little bit of momentum. If all you've got is the weight of players saying they're not going. Mm. If that's if that's the only noise, and and let's be honest, the PGA Tour have quietly been operating in the background, you know, clamping um, clamping things down, saying you'll have a choice to make. They've they've not said anything publicly. They've really refused to acknowledge that the PGL exists or the idea of it exists. This was a gift, a mm. player of Rory's stature coming out and definitively saying I'm out, mm. um, going further to say I want to be on the right side of history, were his words. Mm. Uh, was a gift to the PGA Tour and the PGL. Need, need someone uh, in the next two to three weeks. And it needs to be like, I mean, there's rumours about um, Bryson Brooks, Patrick Reed, all essentially being the types of players that are looking to commit. You'd need one of them or yep. Phil to come out in the next couple of weeks and say, I mean, mm. um, without that, I feel like it's losing its its luster and its momentum.
1: Yeah. I think it needs to be a big player. Like I, I get what you're saying around around Tiger and Phil. But if they come out as owners of teams, like I just think that that's not as strong as mm. as actually playing, um, you know. And like I'm just reading back over some of the notes here, like in the in the podcast, Gardner said that they haven't even had a conversation with the PGA Tour, and says that they would like to collaborate. Well, like you know, that's not going to happen. So just yeah. push on with your own Door's agenda. Shut.
0: Keep going. Like
1: you know, uh, the thing, and and it's a really interesting point that you made about. Um, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some some announcements. But it's like it's a little bit chicken on the egg. So you want the players to come out and say that they've got support, but you also need all this other information and this, uh, I suppose, um, the, the meat on the bones. Like we've, We know that where the events are going to be, but what are the events? Uh, what does the travel schedule look like? What does all of that stuff, what does broadcast look like? Mm. All of that sort of stuff, I suppose, needs to start to come out in my head before they can get players committed, but also understand that they can't probably get the stature of that if they haven't got the players committed. So they've got a fair bit of, I still think they've got a lot of work to do to, to get this thing to a, a point where, where people are going to be on board.
0: Which is, you know, it's disappointing. Cause I got, ex- I got really excited there for yeah. a brief moment horses? about, uh, yeah, about the possibilities that it could bring, but you know, uh, you know, probably similar to a lot of players, it's difficult to reconcile the the financial backing and where it's coming from. Uh, last thing
1: on this, from from me, what's your gut feel? Do you reckon it gets off the ground for January 22?
0: No. Yeah. No. I uh, and I've shifted on that in the last couple of weeks. I just I think in the absence of firm commitments um, yeah. soon, yeah, uh, that it will stall and that we'll be back where we were with this idea. You know, the last time when popped it said great idea in theory, as I say that um, an idea is the most, uh, the most powerful weapon in the world, but it, until it can be weaponized and actioned, uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's where they all, they all fall apart druids. And this is, um, you know, this is just yet another idea. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's, that's the problem. It needs some legs.
1: Yeah. And, and I agree. And I think that this is like, if this doesn't get off the ground fine, I'm, I'm okay with that. Let's start, you know, have these guys like Andrew Gardner put the pressure on the PGA tour for things to change, you Mm -hmm. know, which is what they've done with this. Like they've, you know, they've taken it to 10 out of 10 straight away. It's not to a hundred very quickly, but you know, keep putting the pressure on Jay Monaghan and the PGA tour for things to start changing. Broadcast should be number one on the, on the plate. And you know, we know this broadcast deal is going to drop very shortly and, we've been trying to find the time to have an in-depth discussion about it. And now's not the time, but um, you know, there's, they need to keep putting the pressure on uh, on golf uh, and the PGA tour because they are the most powerful body. You know, we're seeing that the PGL is still struggling to get a little bit of backing um, and the PGA tour hasn't done anything like, you know, like Jay Monaghan addressed the players and that was about it.
0: So Anyway. A, a monopoly is an incredibly dangerous thing, and that's really what the PGA Tour has at the moment. Completely um, agree. My only, my only real hope is that we've seen so many monopolies disrupted in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, and maybe, just maybe, golf will be the same if it can get itself sorted in the background, the PGL, to attract players. But we will, yeah. we will wait and see because without, without the absence of new news, um, yeah, that the air starts to to come out of the ties. A couple of other pieces of quick news, streets, Um mm. Because the the four G connection is doing remarkably well. I um, we have no doubt at least. But yeah, we don't want to we don't want to continue to test fate or um you know run up your your phone bill into the three or four figures. Uh, but you, you flagged just then the broadcast and how mm. important that is, and the the fact that we are awaiting news of the new broadcast deal. We also flagged a little earlier in the podcast the sensational interview uh, with. Peter Costas, the former CBS uh, broadcaster, golf commentator for 30 years on the No Laying Up podcast last week. And um, unsurprisingly, you know, the, 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 the big headline, well, there was two big headlines out of that chat that the um, Pat Reid improving his life four or five times I've seen it in person was mm-hmm. an enormous piece of news. Huge. The other one was um, Peter Costas' uh, appraisal of how the PGA Tour view the broadcast. Mm. Verbatim words, I believe, were they don't give a rat's ass." about the broadcast. They're only interested in promotion. This shouldn't be news to anybody. It's something that, um, you know, we've been banging on about on this podcast, more broadly golf media in general have been banging on about the fact that um, the, the broadcast treats its viewers with complete um, contempt. It patronizes the viewer, but to hear a guy who was around the CBS broadcast for three decades confirm Uh, Our thoughts was, I thought, fascinating to the point where he spoke about the fact that uh, I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, but he was interviewing um, on the 18th green, a tournament winner and asked him how he felt about being exempt to the masters as a result Mm -hmm. of the victory and then got an email on Monday from um, the higher ups at CBS saying they'd been contacted directly by the commissioner to ask why the first question wasn't about the 500 FedEx Cup points that he earned as part no of cares. the victory and it's, it's that sort of disregard for any sort of basis and reality of the types of things that the viewer is interested in confirmed by a guy who was in the machine for 30 years which were fascinating and mm. in the context of a, a broadcast deal that is must be sitting on a desk in pj to a headquarters in pontevedra awaiting the the opportune time to announce Whispers are that it'll come at the players in a couple of weeks' time, which would be no surprise. Uh, it's exactly where the PGA Tour would want to announce it. But I am f- fascinated, uh, even more so with every day that passes, to see the details of this and how much they're going to double down on CBS mm-hmm. uh, because the 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 hellfire that I think will come from golf fans will be remarkable to watch because, yeah, I think the the blowtorch is well and truly on both the tour and CBS now because they are under an enormous spotlight for the quality or lack thereof of the broadcast.
1: Huge, huge spotlight. It was a fascinating interview and don't like pushing people to other podcasts, but we know a a lot of our listeners are no laying up uh, listeners. So um, definitely go and check this one out. Their numbers would be going... (laughs) absolutely a bunta on this one. So deservedly so. Um yeah, look and hopefully we get we get our sort of podcast around the broadcast out before this uh before it all drops. But um, cause we have some respective thoughts on it from a from a golf fan perspective. Mm. Uh and it was yeah it was really fascinating to listen to Peter, you know, really start to I suppose hoe into, you know, the PJ tour and CBS around, you know, particular um you know topics uh and and he was pushed by by solly on on no laying up on a few different things which was um you know it was a really good interview so go and check it out it's a uh it's it's a great listen uh, and it's not that long either so Get around that one, Mister.
0: Speaking of the administration, bit of news out of the top office of golf here in Australia.
1: Yes, very quickly uh, on this uh, mid last week, Golf Australia CEO Stephen Pitt uh, resigned um, from his role as Golf Australia CEO. Obviously, uh, he joined the role in two thousand eight, so he's been there for quite a while. Um, the financial performance of Golf Australia has been under the microscope for the last couple of years. They aren't doing overly well um you know we know how our state bodies work that uh you know money from from private golf courses that's how you know the fee goes through to uh golf australia but uh yeah it it's probably more a a decline on participation uh i'd suggest uh that is that is impacting financial performances lower crowds at at, you know events around um you know like got like the queensland open like the wa open uh so it's it's an interesting, it'll be an interesting process to follow. So the board, the board will uh, undertake a new process uh, for a new CEO and that's going to be led by Andrew Newbold. Uh, now we mentioned this name on one of our first episodes. He's a former CEO of Hawthorne footy club uh, as a member of that uh, club. I know he's a fantastic operator. He oversaw, you know, four flags, uh, at the At the Hawthorne footy Club, there he is a very outside the box thinker he 's brought a lot of change to to Hawthorne and uh, I know that he 'll be doing uh, all he can to appoint the best possible person uh, in that role so interesting things to uh, to to come for Golf Australia over the next sort of month to, to two months while that process gets undertaken
0: Stephen Pitt, I think deserves an enormous congratulations for. Growing oh, he's the done game, a great deal, man, which he's done since 2008. Make no mistake, that's a long stint as a CEO. Uh, you don't generally get that long, but the the list of achievements over that time are incredibly impressive. Uh, the introduction of my golf, which has got so many kids into the game at an mm. introductory level, is awesome. Um, he sat also on the World uh, Handicapping Committee uh, on, as a representative of Australia. And I, I mean, I know that people have their grievances about handicap, particularly with the recent change. But what you have to understand is the work that Stephen Pitt did to modernize our handicapping system meant that the recent changes affected Australia, um, almost the least of any country across the world. So, you know, you've got grievances about the changes recently. You could be in any other country and have gone through material wholesale changes had it not been for Stephen Pitney's work on modernizing the Australian handicap system. So whilst the microscope is on um, the financial performance as it is for any CEO of any organization, sporting or otherwise, uh, the work he's done to grow the game since 2008, Druids has been enormous. The challenge he faced in recent years and which ultimately I think cost him his job and the immediate priority of whoever the replacement is is unification Um, there are some states who are digging their heels in uh, and some states who uh, respectfully need to be brought into line we all want our piece of the pie and that's that's there's no problem with that respect that but when it is costing um, the game at a macro level that's when i have a problem and whoever whoever comes in, I think, needs to sit, listen for a period of time, and then wield a stick, because the game will not move forward unless it is unified, and the states must be unified. So unification is an enormous priority, I think, for whoever replaces Stephen Pitt, uh, or else the game will continue to try to operate with a hand tied behind its back until that problem is fixed. Agree. Speaking of investigations, my friend, I've been very, very very impressed with your work this week. We flagged it as a bit of fun. We spoke about, um, you know, potentially the Australian Women's Open only being committed to Royal Adelaide uh, for one further year, despite the fantastic job they're doing. And does that free it up to move? You suggested Western Australia, given the the dearth of events there now after Mm. the departure of the Super 6, money to spend, could it move? And you said to me... um, probably a little tongue-in-cheek, I'm going to do a bit of digging this week. Well, you, my friend, have put Laurie Oakes to shame. I've got the excavator Uh, out. The way in which you've done some political investigation and reporting has been incredibly impressive. So run us through the timeline of what you've done and what you've heard. All right. Thank you, Kieran. Uh, So
1: obviously, as you've you've outlined the context there, the Australian Women's Open is contracted to Royal Adelaide uh, for next year's event. But beyond that, it is up for grabs uh, from what I'm led to believe. My first call uh, was uh, to uh, a colleague of mine at uh, Golf WA, who I know quite well. I asked if there had been a tender process had begun, uh, had they been approached by Golf Australia, uh, how, how does the process work? Uh, I got an informal email back, which uh, obviously I'm going to respect and, and not repeat on the podcast, uh, and I asked for a formal comment on which I could uh, could be quoting him on the podcast. So Share with the listeners. Yeah, that's exactly what I'll do. And uh, he mentioned, well, I can confirm, and this is, a, this is a quote, that Golf WA has never been approached to host the event. But if they were approached, they would be excited to be the hosts. So Golf WA is behind um, the, the hosting rights, naturally, as we expected. My next call uh, was then to Golf Australia who uh, obviously (laughs) had just lost their CEO. Uh, So a a little bit on uh, that week as, as uh, you and I both know, having uh, worked in that sort of role before. Uh, So they have informed me that they're going to provide me an updated uh, comment this week. But so uh, we don't have anything from golf Australia, but uh, that will be coming back next week. And I will share that on uh, next week's podcast. And then my final follow-up was to Minister Paul Papalia's office here in Western Australia. So Paul Papalia uh, is the Minister for Tourism, and I'm led to believe that the South Australian government pumps a hell of a lot of money into the Australian Women's Open. So the WA government would need to do the same uh, for it to uh, be viable here in WA. I am yet to hear back from Minister Paul Papalia's office. I will continue to follow up with him, uh, if I don't hear from him next week, uh, I will take his uh, silence as guilt uh, and that the WA government will be throwing their full support behind the Australian Women's Open.
0: Uh, I should have added in the start, the little... Yeah. <laughs> <60 minutes. laughs> So no, I've
1: actually done some digging. I've actually gone out and done some investigative journalism. Uh, I'm very put impressed. That, put that um, uh, degree to use. So it's, it's it I'm is in bro. all seriousness. I know we, we're probably taking the piss a little bit, but it is an interesting, no. uh, um, interesting story to follow, and I will keep doing Absolutely. doing some
0: digging. Uh, we owe it to our audience, particularly in Western Australia, to get an answer uh, because I tell you what I find most telling about um, about your your trip around the traps this week to try and get uh, people on the record. The comment from uh, Golf WA was intriguing to me. Um, mm. We've never been approached, but if we were, we'd be thrilled. It says to me that we're waiting to be asked rather than asking. And I understand, Correct. don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not laying any sort of blame at the feet of Golf WA because they are entirely contingent mm. on the funding that will come from the WA Tourism Office or Correct. the Minister- sports office they need that money um but yeah that, that's an interesting comment uh yeah. that, that if if we were asked we'd be thrilled yeah um, so don't i don't to be asked, asked uh, the
1: question yeah I, I think look if they if they got together with with paul papalia's office and and you know the department of like government sport culture industries over here and and put forward a case then there is no reason why we couldn't uh look to to host um you know the Australian Women's Open moving forward, but it'll be an interesting one to uh, to to keep tabs on over the next couple of weeks. And I will, uh, I will. continue. Congratulations.
0: yes. Thanks, mate. Congratulations on your outstanding reporting today. And we will not stop until we have answers <laughs> for our listeners. <laughs> so it's we have exactly time for a drive. Uh, <laughs> now we go into a song or something, don't we? A uh, little little sting into yeah. the uh, yeah the four pm news. Dreads uh, just briefly before we. Before we wrap up, uh, we'd be remiss of us not to uh, say congratulations to the Australians who have locked up their Asian tour card for next year. Some outstanding news just come through in the last couple of days.
1: Yeah, Will Heffernan, Scott Strange, Ben Eccles, Corey Crawford and Kevin Wan all locking up their card on the Asian tour. Will Heffernan actually finished second. And, of course, today uh, the announcement uh, that the European tour will host a uh, first-stage Q school event in Australia next year. Uh, at Rosebud Country Club, uh, which, outside of Melbourne, yes, which will uh, mean that uh, Australia will become the first country outside of Europe to host a European Tour Q School event. So, uh, that's, congratulations that's, that's, to those five. That's massive for for, for Australia because it means that our young guns don't have to travel all the way to Europe to potentially uh, get a crack in at the European Tour.
0: Massive for those five looking up their Asian tour card. And as you say, that's a huge announcement to have a European um, tour Q school event outside yes. of Europe and to have uh, Australia chosen as the venue. Uh, I also saw uh, some, some quotes in the last week from Keith Pelly, the commissioner of the European tour talking about potentially bringing an event to Australia. Obviously they do it for the latest European tour. They do a number, um, but potentially bringing an event down to, uh, down to Australia. So that would be awesome um and again i mean we we probably sound like a broken record geez we love the european tour on this podcast because they think do, outside the box it is not um cookie cutter take this tournament plant it at this course do the exact same thing next week do the exact same thing across the year they just do things a little differently and we love it so no, european do. tour you'd be more than welcome keith pelly come and join us on the 19th T. droodster um bit of a whip around this week the honda classic um there's been names pulling out that pulling out of that left front and centre but that's where we're going the PGA National uh, on the PGA Tour the Honda Classic this week the European Tour goes to Oman yep Uh, the LPGA Tour is off Uh, this was meant to be the Asian swing but of course with the um, continued prevalence of the coronavirus uh, they are taking a break The uh, Women's New South Wales Open, we mentioned Dubbo Golf Club this week. Uh, Best of luck to all the ladies competing there, particularly uh, young Steph Kiriakou making her professional debut. And the New Zealand Open, which we've mentioned um, in the PGA Tour of Australasia, the final event on that tour, $1.4 million if you don't mind. So look forward to bringing everyone up to speed with the results. Out of Queenstown, one of the most beautiful parts of the world. That just about does us, Drewster, except to say, uh, listeners, if you've stuck with us, uh, and uh, for the hour and a bit, we've we've snuck over that hour, which we try so intently, Drew, to stick under. But the time has got away from us tonight. If you have stuck with us for um, a bit over the hour, you are privy to the fact that we have a very exciting announcement coming out on the podcast later this week. Don't want to lift the lid too much, but we will have another guest on the podcast. And uh, as part of that chat, we'll be making a very exciting announcement on the 19th team. And also, Druids next week. Uh, yes. Speaking of exciting guests, I don't know that we've had many more esteemed than this. A two-time, uh, you, you heard it here first, not once, two-time New York Times bestselling author, Tom Coyne. Yeah. Author of A Course Called Ireland, A Course Called Scotland, Paper Tiger. Uh, a Gentleman's, gentleman's Game. He's just wrapped up his, his trip around America for A Course Called America. Uh, he is one of, if not the uh, preeminent writers of golf that there is, uh an, an exceptional uh, bloke to boot as well. I had a lot of fun recording that one with uh, uh, with Tom live from Philadelphia. So look yes. forward to sharing that one with our listeners. Over two parter as well. <laughs> it was a long one. Yeah, uh, we it was won't awesome. lie to you. And we 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 weighed it up. Do we make you sit through one long one, or do we split it up? And selfishly get some more content out of it. So obviously we took option B. Yes, uh, because
1: and, uh, next week there won't be a normal episode uh, wrapping we'll up off the Honda,
0: gallivanting around the southwest again.
1: Y- yes, uh, we'll be off gallivanting, making the most of the long weekend over here in WA. Uh, so you'll get Tom Coin on the Monday, uh, it part one, and then Tom Coin part two on the Thursday. Both are cracking chats.
0: Yeah, really looking forward to sharing that um, with our. With our listeners, Teresa, uh, it's been a pleasure. Congratulations once again on your on your victory at the Pro Am. Thank you, mate. Um, I hope for your sake you take that form down to the southwest, particularly at Dunsborough Lakes. Of yes. course, you and I have both played uh, unforgiving can beat up. That I would use uh, yeah. to describe Dunsborough Lakes and many of the other courses for that matter down to the southwest. So take that form with you, my friends. Uh, and we will speak uh, well you and I will probably speak we speak every day uh, but you and I will speak more you in 10 minutes after we hang up yeah you and I will speak more formally on this podcast <laughs> in some weeks time so uh, until then uh, to you and to all of our listeners uh, head down uh, swing hard swing straight uh, crack a beer at the end enjoy golf the way you want to enjoy it because that's what we're all about here at the 19th team we'll be back in your ears uh, very soon